Hi, and welcome. This is Lee Siegfried, host of A Life Well Lived with Dogs podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a podcast where we keep it real. We talk about dogs, living with dogs, life with dogs, dog training, and the full spectrum of the journey from puppyhood and beyond. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get to it. Hello, hello. Welcome to Life Well Lived with Dogs podcast. This is your host, Lee Siegfried. I just wanted to continue to use this podcast as a way to create an extension of the training experience I've had over the last 20 years, the common things I've seen people struggle with, and just the real journey of what it's what it's like to be a dog owner in the world. So today, <laughs> there's so much to talk about. I wanted to talk about the dog training journey and what that's like when you're first getting started and discerning for yourself, you know, like what you're getting into. So I've often felt like the journey for people looking to train dogs, if they're actually researching, reading, investing in books, education, I always always thought of it to be quite conflicting. And not unlike a lot of things in the world today, it can be like a polarizing topic, but how to train, how you should train, what you should do. There's a lot of shoulds out there in the world of owning a dog. And I'd really like to talk about methodologies, approaches, and not so much that I want to convince you of anything, right? But what I really want, I think, as my take-home message is you discern for yourself. And I would encourage you to be open and curious along your journey. I'll tell you a little bit about my background in training and learning and where I started and where I'm at. When I first started to learn how to train, it sort of was before the internet. Yeah, I took a correspondence course. I took a correspondence course to learn dog training as one of my first steps. So what does that mean? For those of you that have never taken a correspondence course, it's basically what you're doing is you're doing coursework and handwriting tests and sending them in the mail to get graded. Does that sound insane right now? It probably does. So obviously a lot of like book knowledge and foundational knowledge which was great to bone up on concepts. And then when it comes to hands-on application, that's like a whole different ballgame. I'd say, fortunately, these days, there are a lot of training programs that are a lot more integrative in, you know, you've got the assigned reading and then you've got to get your hands-on. I feel like how our industry still does it is really like very incomplete. Sometimes people are doing internships or paid programs, and then they're paid with mentors that are getting paid not a whole lot. And if you've got a really experienced person, it's sort of like, not to be like, what's the incentive here, but like, what's the incentive here? (laughs) And volunteering in, you know, in the shelter world can be a great way to get your hands on dogs if you're looking to do something like that, which I did. I trained shelter dogs. I started shelter training programs. I walked shelter dogs. It gave me a great appreciation for, for different types and sizes and strengths of dogs. When I got into my own hands-on development, it, it mostly began in the shelter world. And then it kind of matriculated into assisting as a trainer and then moving into a role where I was training within a dog daycare training center and then where I was teaching classes and working one-on-one with clients. There was so much hands-on that went into my own growth over the last 20 years and not just not just with dogs, with other species. Well, I mean, I owned a ferret. I feel like I'm like, that's not, that's not really training. No, I, I actually trained that little weasel. We did a lot of target training. It was fun. And it was interesting to like to have that experience with a completely different species. But not only that, I mean, not to sound like species, but it was at the time like a way for me to apply my training knowledge when I didn't have my own dog. Sweets was my first dog. She was she was a Serbian street dog that came to the States 
Maybe that's a story for another time. But when I began to really immerse myself professionally in the world of training and mentorship or beginning to learn, I personally experienced the polarity in the industry. And as part of my training, I was matched up with mentor trainers. Well, they couldn't have been more different. And I think that this just strikes some some contrast here for for you guys too. I remember the first guy that I mentored with, his name was Bob. And Bob was, he was the teacher on Beavis and Butthead in human form. He was peace and love, jeans, long hair, hey man, like that, like the whole thing. His training style was very food and motivation-based, which I was very aligned with. But what seemed to be missing for me was like, the frustration, I think, with training in general for for people and, and, and myself as someone within the industry is like, I don't always feel that there's an honest conversation being had with the owner of the dog and or it could be like the concepts that would really benefit the dog and owner aren't being taught. And we're kind of sticking to this recipe of like skills. So cut to the second trainer that I was observing had a completely drastically different training style. There was no food used ever. And this is what a lot of people would call like old school. It was like, hey, you should like do what I want you to do. And if not, I'm going to create some urgency for you to do what I want you to do. And I remember people in those training classes being like, but could we use treats? She was like, no, that's just a little slice of life of what it's like for me within the industry. And I can only imagine for you guys, maybe you're not as privy to this part of the conversation, but training more or less was an obedience-based paradigm. So people that were actively training their dogs tended to also being competitive dog sport folks. So people that were competing in obedience, people that were maybe pursuing a breed choice and had owned that same breed or, or, you know, or have a multiple dog household. The people that really seriously pursued training probably, you know, in the 80s through the 90s were of more of this genre of people that were like dog is a lifestyle but competitive-based lifestyle. So a lot of a lot of what you had early on were clubs. You still have clubs. Cool. Clubs where people that are practicing and want to get in the ring and want to develop dog sport abilities and want to tinker with obedience. That's sort of where modern training kind of like, that's like the, the primordial soup of modern training. So then the pet, the pet world or the pet industry or the companion dog industry began to become a thing it's not like it wasn't a thing, but it's certainly, certainly drastically changed in the last 15 years or it's or it's become a thing with so many more dogs and homes, so many more people that aren't like of that lifestyle of like, we're doing competitive obedience. They own a dog and they want the dog to be functional within their household and they want to enjoy their life with their dog and as they should, right? However, you also have very inexperienced handlers. We're talking people that may have never owned a dog, people that may have owned a dog as a as a child. Maybe they have their first dog on their own. And like, it's totally possible you have multiple dog, having owned multiple dog owners in the mix. But, but mostly the industry began to shift, I'd say in the 80s into the 90s, in that the way that a lot of people were training, you know, there's always that pendulum swing, as they say, what, every 40 years, the way that a lot of people were training was very much based in that world of competitive obedience where performance was everything and relationship wasn't necessarily high on the list. And I would say even technique wasn't high on the list. It was like they wanted the result and they were taught by whoever they were taught that the best way to get it was to do it like this. So that's what they were doing. It was kind of one of those like the fish doesn't know the quality of the water that it's swimming in, right? And then, so the story goes, I'd say in the 80s or 90s, things began to move more towards the use of food and training 
as a motivator. Lore and reward training is what it's called. Lore and reward training just simply means having something in hand, using it to kind of to kind of get the dog on it and and receptive, and then using that to shape skills and behavior. I mean, everybody for the most part is still utilizing lore reward training. It's just that a lot of times what was being taught is that the full picture of how to evolve training beyond the lore was sometimes being left out. So as things continue to evolve, marker training, marker training refers to words and sounds associated with consequences, good and or usually removal of stuff or, you know, or tone. Everybody is still using that, right? It's just sort of like if dog training is artistry or like music, every musician has a different signature vibration at their the way they want to produce sound into the world, right? How one person plays a piano, how John Mayer plays the guitar is not how John Lee Hooker played the guitar. So like putting it in the context of a musician, you can appreciate the nuance and the signature of those styles. And somehow in the dog world, there became this like embroiled debate that really, I think a lot of it was propagated by associations that were supporting trainers or, or creating, creating alignment or agreement within, with trainers. So the current state of the industry, from my humble opinion, you know, it's of interest to me to, to share this because like it's very much shaped my journey. So when you had this evolution, I'd say in the 80s and 90s to let's use less like less confrontational, less physical methods. So many people were on board with that. And there were still people that were skeptical, right? Sure. And what began to happen with that pendulum swing, as as I think it goes with so many things, the pendulum really swung wide. And out of that, there began to become, I'd say, dog training associations that were formed primarily around the idea of like, hey, let's let's uphold our members, let's pursue certifications, let's let's attract people that are committed to their ongoing continuing education, which I am totally aligned with. Like continuing out is amazing. And what I'll also say is in my journey, I I went outside of the dog world for a lot of that continuing ed because I didn't find that there were any real compelling conversations. So I felt this layer of, I'd say, I'm just going to call it inauthentic, (laughs) inauthenticity. What I found is I would go to these behavior consultant and dog training conferences and there was like an unwillingness to have bigger conversations in the industry. And I'm talking like, okay, there was alignment about how to train, but there was no conversation outside of where people could align. So it's like if there's a sandbox and as long as we stayed in this one corner of the sandbox, we are all good. But as soon as you even begin to have a conversation outside of that, as soon as you were even going to suggest that maybe, maybe just singularly agreeing to that one approach is actually going to not help at all the dogs. There just wasn't any airtime for it. And I think things are now kind of shifting back. So as a function of that, what it led me to was exploring ethology, exploring enrichment and how it could naturally be very, very effective as a stress reliever and or just creating like biological fulfillment for dogs. It led me to really look and learn from the horse world. And it led me to trainers that were also integrating multiple species approach in how they were working with dogs. And there is just so, it's so rich and there's so much there. What I came back to was really this realization that a lot of the training systems weren't systems at all. They were kind of like taking parts of a recipe and like throwing it in the pot and like stirring it and being like, hope it tastes good. And I began to study with somebody who really had a systematic approach that incorporated teaching animals to regulate, 
that incorporated prioritizing that more than anything. And that also incorporated movement and softness, which is something very, very much that comes from the horse world. And I would say the some of the biggest breakthroughs I've had, I mean, and I want to do more exploration within this field because it's been a while, but a lot of what happens within our industry are people just disagreeing over how to how to train. So I want you guys to know that I am not interested in perpetuating that conversation. What I am interested in is shedding light on things that you may want to know about. I find that in our pet professional world, there tends to be a lot of well-intentioned people that aren't fully informed and fully educated. So sometimes you're getting opinions from professionals within the field, all due respect, that have no actual experience with the thing you may actually be wondering about. So as a dog owner, one thing I'll say is taking pet or training advice from professional trainers and also your advice can vary very greatly. It's tricky. I know you guys all want to do the right thing and I know you all want to do the kind thing and I know you want to do the thing that's actually going to be effective. And I am all for that. And what I'm going to say for some of you that may have what I'll call like an outlier of a dog or an outlier case, you may have to move to the edge of the unknown in what you have done that has worked with other dogs because this is a different beast. Sometimes the challenge is that we say to ourselves, like, of course I want to train that way. Of course I want to train like humanely and kindly. That all sounds so freaking great. Nobody wants to train in a way that doesn't feel good. However, there are times when you have a challenging dog, a challenging puppy, and this could be normal developmental stuff where part of the reason you're seeking training is because it doesn't feel good. And I quite frankly am not interested in wasting anyone's time or energy and money to perpetuate a belief that I can guide you through this journey without you or your dog feeling uncomfortable. Like really massive personal growth. If you've had moments or years or months or weeks of like pushing that boundary, it's not comfortable. And a lot of times where there's so much conflict created is back in this idea of the shoulds in the approach, right? If you're not training this way, comma, then infill with like self-worth issue conversation. I want to declare how you train is not a reflection of anything other than in the moment doing the best you can with the information that you have. And I have heard from so many people that have worked with multiple trainers. Here's the, here's the commonality. They were really nice. I mean, it's nice to be nice, but it's way more fun to help people really fucking break through some shit. So my commitment to you is I'll be honest, I'll be kind, but I'm not here to be nice. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to be some other way with you. But I think the bold honesty of having conversations about life with dogs, the challenges, the breakdowns, the breakthroughs, the, oh my God, when is this going to change? Is this normal? I'm not sure that this is normal. Is this the tip of the iceberg? There's so many things that I think can be difficult to discern for yourself. And I want to start to give you guys the knowledge to understand how to discern a situation with your dog and feel empowered to know what to do in the moment, feel empowered to know how to advocate for your dog going into the moment. And remember, this is this is about a life full of dogs. In sharing my journey with you, I'm just here to say it's been as confusing for me, perhaps, as it may be for you. You know, friends and family aren't always going to understand what it's like. They're not always going to understand the challenges of having a young dog the like the eye roll factor, the stress factor. And what I'm going to say too is that's like you can opt into that and opt out of that at like a moment's notice. I really want to create a safe space for you guys where you can ask questions, where you can really feel seen and gotten and understood and not feel like you have to hide if you've tried a certain thing 
where you're like, yes, I did that and that didn't work or, oh, I've been doing this for six months and it's still not working. Oh boy, just be open to strategy changes and like be kind to yourself in the process. Dog ownership is an incredible gift. I mean, think about this. You get to like live where you have enough resources to share your life with this like little furry alien who like sleeps in your bed and on your couch, who's like ridiculous in so many ways and has the potential to teach you so much. To me, that's really what it's all about. And training is a part of that. Most of us also, though, just get get to tap into so much more, I'd say, like confidence and embodiment and freedom when we have that going on, meaning there's a certainty about what we need to give our dog in the moment and what they need from us. And there's a capability that we can like step in and provide that. And there's a knowing because when these guys are, you know, it's one thing when they're like three months old, six months old, nine months old. It's another thing when they're 15, 16, 17. (laughs) It's a humbling journey. And I'm here to help you guys not miss the point. So trying to bring this full circle, dog training, conflict, polarity in the industry. Here's what I'm going to say. Train in a way that feels good to you. When you're not getting the results you want, ask bigger questions, ask better questions. When you're feeling like you're stuck, reach out, reach out to us, reach out to your trainer. When you need help getting unstuck, you just may need like a little tweaking and recalibration. A lot of times there are a couple couple daily practices you can integrate that like make all the difference. So we'll talk about those. And nobody knows it all. You know, I really think that in this day and age, it can be very easy to get <laughs> to get overwhelmed or to get like, ah, like, look at that person doing it that way. Be kind to each other. You have no idea where someone's at on their training journey or their, their dog ownership journey. You may have been experiencing your bubble of bliss and you may, and somebody may be in their own really tough, challenging time. They may have a dog that's very challenging. And if you throw shade by looking at them for the equipment on their dog, that's about you. It's about you. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. And stay open and stay curious, right? That to me has always been the thing that has propelled me through this industry is there are plenty of times where I was like, this feels like this is ineffective yet. I'm surrounded by a community of people that I think would burn their bras and maybe swear on their mother's lives that this should work and this shit is not working. And that's why I kept searching and looking for answers and truth. And I didn't find that many people that were willing to have truthful conversations too. Isn't that interesting? Leaders within our industry, leaders not willing to have conversations politically. It's too risky. Or the blinders are on. We're just not having those conversations. My coach, Ray Dohar, said she calls herself an orphan in her industry. And I sometimes feel the same. It's not that I don't want community. I do. I just don't want community where people aren't willing to be honest. <laughs> that's not that's not my deal. So anyway, guys, thanks for listening. I'll talk a, bit, a little bit more about ethology probably in the next pod and a little bit more about daily practices that can be really, really helpful. Thanks for joining us on a Life Will Live podcast. I'm going to wrap it up. You can, oh, if you want to follow us, check us out. Our training company is at OP Barks, Opportunity Barks. If you want to see some dogs having like mad, amazing fun, follow us on Instagram at Be a Farm Dog. And you can always drop us a line at hello at opbarks.com. And we look forward to connecting with you. Bye, guys. <laughs>